It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Corey Davis, wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And we are going to talk to our friend Brett Coleman of The Film Room, the super popular YouTube channel that has incredible videos, a lot of great stuff leading up to the draft, get his thoughts on everything involving the process and what he thinks the Jets should do, his favorite players, players they should avoid, all of that. But first, I want to talk to our old friend, Dr. Steven Stoller, 35-year orthopedic surgeon who's performed a ton of surgeries for sports injuries, a lot of insight, particularly on Zach Wilson, so I want to get into that and maybe some other things involving misconceptions as far as what injury-prone actually means when you're going from the collegiate level to the pro level. So for anybody who hasn't seen the Doc's article up at playlikeajet.com, you really should check it out because he's even got a nice illustration there of how these injuries work. But I want to talk about that shoulder injury first. A lot of people have talked about how they're nervous because they remember Chad Pennington. Can you talk a little bit about this injury, how it heals, if people should be nervous about it. And if you can, compare it a little bit to Chad Pennington because you could understand why a Jets fan who watched Chad Pennington throw out his shoulder would look at Zach Wilson and say, ooh, that's a little nerve-wracking. I don't know if I want to go in that direction. Well, first of all, my understanding is that Chad Pennington had a torn rotator cuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the technique that was used on him was not completely arthroscopic. That was um, partially open. And when you, you open the shoulder, you're going to have more scar tissue. And the scar tissue prevents you from, uh, or is a good chance, they'll prevent you from having full range of motion. In a throwing athlete, that's critical. Um, I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember Burt Jones for the Colts, but he was an outstanding quarterback. He ended up... Um, having a dislocated shoulder, which was uh, repaired surgically as an open procedure because back then their, their arthroscopic surgery wasn't available. But now with labral repairs, um, there are plenty of athletes that have re- repairs of labrum that return to sports. I think it's really few that do not. I think recently uh, Paul George, I think Dwight Howard, um, just had surgery, and even Trevor Lawrence had surgery um, on the, this off season on his non-throwing shoulder, but still had surgery. And his surgeon, as I would agree, is said he's going to be a hundred percent. So I think when it comes to Zach Wilson, uh, you know, it's almost ridiculous that people are concerned about it because he had his repair, I believe, two years ago. And if you look at last year's performance. And even on his pro day, what he's able to do, 
um, was not you would not have any concern because you know it's healed. It should not happen again. Um, so I and as a matter of fact, the Jets were not overly concerned because they traded Sam Donald before they had the medical reports from the NFL. Let's talk about the hand injury. There was a surgery on his thumb. Should fans be concerned about that? Um, you know, I don't know the specifics of the injury, but if it was on his thumb, it's most likely uh, what they call a gamekeeper's thumb or a, a tear of the only collateral ligament. And, you know, with today's technique, um, like you saw with Drew Brees, I think he was out maybe three or four weeks that not only can they repair the ligament, but they can put an internal splint, which protects the ligament, um, uh, you know, to heal while you're putting stress on that particular joint. So I don't, there should be absolutely no problem uh, with his hand healing. And then the other thing is, is no correlation between the fact that he injured his shoulder and injured his hand. They're two separate injuries. And it doesn't mean, as some of the uh, experts are stating that he's injury prone, because there really isn't anything, any player that's injury prone if they have different injuries. Because if you fracture your shoulder because you fall on in a certain way, um, and then a, a defensive lineman is um, has your ankle in a certain position and another one hits you in a different position, you're going to sprain your ankle. And um, if the same force and, uh, and angle of the mechanism of injury is identical, you know, whether you're an, a quote, non injury prone athlete or an injury prone athlete, you're both going to have an ankle sprain. Um, and I think, you know, to make it even simpler, or to show that some of it is just unfounded, that if you took an injury-prone athlete and a non-injury-prone athlete and you pushed both of them out a second-story window, um, are you going to tell me that the non-injury-prone athlete is not going to be injured or that the injury-prone athlete is going to have more injuries? Um, so that really doesn't make sense. And I think that, you know, uh, if someone has a repetitive injury to one specific location, then that might be a problem. Um, and that would be a concern. I think if you have an, an injury that may be related to a congenital problem, you know, such as a cervical spine, that would be a problem. Um, but doesn't necessarily mean they're injury prone. It just means that there are medical concerns that may prevent them from uh, performing at a certain level or being able to return to sports at all. Um, on the other hand, muscle strains can be uh, related to certain individuals that lack flexibility. So if you lack flexibility, you're going to have a greater tendency to have a muscle strain, whether it's in your hamstrings or calves or abdominals, et cetera. But those also can be prevented by, you know, stretching and in particular, um, having someone else stretch you versus the player stretching themselves because you get uh, a greater stretch when someone's able to do it for you. Um, making sure that they're not playing when they're fatigued, 
that they're hydrated, they have um, proper recovery, and also that they have uh, proper biomechanics when they're uh, performing their particular skill set. So I think if you if you use those uh, methods for prevention, that either someone that is not flexible um, can reduce the chances of muscle strains. So in layman's terms, the type of injuries that Wilson has had would not be a concern for you in terms of whether or not he's injury prone. However, if he was somebody that was constantly having muscle strain problems, then you might be a little more nervous, although there are some things that can mitigate the risk. Yeah, that would be true. Um, and I think everyone knows. I mean, some people are flexible. They can touch your toes. Some people can't touch your toes. Um, but again, you can... Uh, prevent it, these individuals from having or reduce the chance of them having injuries by, you know, again, you know, stretching. Sometimes there are muscle imbalances that increase the risk for muscle strain. So, you know, I think if the training staff um, pays particular attention to these, uh, these certain athletes and you can reduce the risk of even them from having injuries. It's been widely talked about how Zach Wilson's 2019 was not very good compared to his 2020 and compared even to his 2018, his freshman season where he played nine games. A lot of people have said that the biggest contributing factor there is the easier schedule in 2020 because of coronavirus. However, we know that he was dealing with injuries in 2019. In fact, two weeks before organized football activities began at BYU that offseason, Aaron Roderick, who at the time was passing game coordinator and is now offensive coordinator at BYU, said that Zach Wilson could not throw the ball 15 yards on a fly. And then about midway into that season is when he had that surgery on his thumb. As somebody who understands these injuries and the recovery times, does it make sense to you that his play would have dipped that season, that the arm strength might have been sapped at least at the beginning of the year because of that torn labrum surgery and that maybe his throws wouldn't have been as sharp after that thumb surgery as well? Um, you know, I'm not certain of the time frame of when he actually had the surgery. I, I know that um, prior to having the surgery and he injured his, himself when he was in high school, that the soreness was in pain was increasing, which it, it can do as you stretch out your shoulder more and more when the labrum is torn, and particularly with a throwing athlete. So I know that prior to his surgery, that it was inhibiting uh, the strength in his shoulder and was having a difficult time uh, throwing. And I think that after his uh, surgery that he was recovering from that. Um, but I think the fact that in 2020 that he certainly has, there's no doubt that he has great strength in his arm um, and can throw from different angles. So, and he could throw off platform, which means he's utilizing his arm more than, you know, his lower body when he's in those positions. So, you know, I think his shoulder's fine. And I, not only I think it's fine, I think the Jets medical staff, you know, again, thinks that he's fine. Otherwise, they would have waited for the NFL full, you know, medical report before they traded Sam Donald. 
Let's talk a little bit about those arm angles because I remember asking you whether or not that would put extra strain on the arm and you told me no, quite the opposite. And I'm wondering if this is sort of like in baseball when you have a guy like Tim Wakefield who threw the knuckleball or you have sidearm pitchers and it's a more natural motion than the overhand throwing, especially since with the overhand throwing, you're throwing so hard and with so much torque. Is it possible that the fact that Zach Wilson uses these unique arm angles could help his health going forward? He might be less susceptible to injury? You know, I think it's a trade-off. I think that he'd be less susceptible for a shoulder injury, but he'd also probably be more susceptible for an elbow injury. But it's really rare that, you know, like in pitchers, that, you know, you have an ulnar collateral ligament uh, sprain um, where you require Tommy John surgery. I mean, I, I, I really don't think I've heard of any quarterback that has had that uh, problem or issues. So I don't think that that would be an issue with him either. But if he was to put any increased stress throwing at those different angles, I would think that it would be um, his elbow more so than his shoulder. For people that are still nervous about the torn labrum, Drew Brees is a good example. Can you talk about how that surgery worked? I know your friend James Andrews performed it. And are there other examples that you can think of, of guys that have had that surgery and gone on to have very successful careers, whether as a pitcher or as a quarterback, somebody who makes a living throwing a ball? Uh, You know, I think that Jay Fielder um, had that surgery. You know, I know it's not a great example because he was never – you know, great quarterback, but he did return after the surgery, as far as I know. Um, but then I know recently, I mean, it's not football, it's still basketball that puts incredible stress on, stress on your shoulders, um, probably more so than uh, in football, um, that Paul George just had the surgery and so did Dwight Howard, and they returned. So, I don't, you know, again, I don't think that it would be uh, I, I would be concerned after having this surgery and um, Zach Wilson or probably another quarterback, you know, providing that the surgery is done properly um, and if there aren't any complications with it, which, you know, again, with this technique, it's really rare. Andrew Luck also had a torn labrum surgery, and he did really well until he walked away from the game for reasons unrelated to that particular injury, but I think just the fact that he was getting bounced around like a pinball, and he decided he wanted to walk away from football with all his faculties, but he came back and threw very well after having that surgery to repair a torn labrum in addition to the examples that you gave. Dr. Steven Stoller, 35-year orthopedic surgeon. Thank you so much for coming on. As always, really appreciate it. Love to be able to pick your brain because obviously us lay people don't know this stuff the way that you do. So if you give a guy a seal of approval, it eases our mind a lot. Like I told you when I first texted you about Zach Wilson and asked you what you thought and you seem to not be concerned. It made me breathe a lot easier. For people that want to pick your brain on these things and maybe interact with you about the Jets or anything else, how can they do that? Um, you know, I'm not that tech savvy, but I believe that I'm on uh, Twitter as the aging athlete and also as Steven Stoller, MD. But usually I, you know, I read, you know, uh, where, you, you know, with play like a Jet, I get a lot of comments about, the comments on your show. So um, I'm sure after this and when some of your audience uh, listens to this podcast, 
there'll be a lot of comments, and I'll answer them. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Every year around draft time, one of my favorite guests to have on is Brett Coleman, who runs the YouTube channel, The Film Room. The thing I love about what Brett does is that he has the perfect combination of outstanding video technique. His production values are incredible, top of the line. And his football knowledge is off the charts. Very rarely do you get that combination. So I'm really glad to have Brett on to talk about the videos that he's been putting together, what the Jets should do in the draft, and everything that he's been working on and is going to be working on over the next couple of days for draft coverage. Brett, thanks so much for coming back on, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I love coming on here. Uh... Every April, seems, seems like now. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, I know you're a busy guy, but hopefully you'll come back sometime in May so we can review what the Jets actually did. Because remember, we did that when you were very bullish on the Jets class. You made a whole video about it, which is still up at your YouTube right now, talking about why you really liked what Joe Douglas did with his first draft class. And hopefully you give Joe Douglas the same kind of review this year for what he does. And I think one guy that a lot of us really like and are hoping that he falls all the way to 23 or that the Jets maybe make a move up to get him is Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma State. You called him the most violent man in college football, and I think if you watch his tape, it's tough to argue against your hypothesis there because he really is something else, man. He just lays into people. He would be perfect for the Jets at 23 because I think you could start him at guard year one and then shift him to tackle in year two. And putting him with Mekhi Becton is a scary proposition for opposing defenses. Tell me about the video you made and what you think of Jenkins and how he might fit with the Jets. You know, Jenkins... Uh, I I don't have like the the tackles you know one two three four I just have like a top tier that you can kind of take in whatever order you want like obviously you know Penny Sewell is going to go first just because of his athletic ceiling but in terms of tape grade Penny Sewell Rashawn Slater Christian Derrissaw and Tevin Jenkins were all pretty much identical to me in terms of just pure tape grade. And when you watch Tevin Jenkins, he's still a phenomenal athlete. Like you take his uh, relative athletic score, you know, at his size, like 6'5", 315, 320, uh, the jumps, the cones, everything like that. Out of, you know, 17 or 1800 tackle prospects since 1987, he ranked number 33 in overall relative athletic score. So he's a very good athlete himself. Like he's, he's not, um, He's not an also ran in this class. The one concern was length, but, you know, he measured in at like 33, 33 and a half inch arms, which is perfectly fine with me. You don't have to have 34 inch arms to be a good tackle in this league. Just ask Joe Thomas or Mitchell Schwartz. Like it's really more about hand placement and technique and timing and everything like that. And that's what he's really good at. It's the technical aspect of playing offensive tackle that I think Tevin Jenkins is gifted at. And he uses that technique to kind of weaponize his insane power. Like, obviously, the the strength jumps off the tape. But the fact that he's able to, um, you know, use leverage, use timing, get dudes on the ground with technique, and then absolutely bury them with his power, he's just a very unique prospect. I think his tape grade for me is even higher than, than Tristan Wirfs' tape grade last year. And I had Tristan Wirfs as like a top eight pick. So I, I think he would be a phenomenal value at 23. I don't think he's going to get there. I personally have him going 17 to the Raiders. But if he does get to 23, I can't imagine a, a better use of that pick. 
I was just going to say, seems like he'd be perfect for the Jets and what they're going to need. They're going to be looking to build around the young quarterback. They'll need weapons, but more importantly, somebody to keep him on his feet. And Tevin Jenkins would be the ideal guy for that, right? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, especially like you look at George Fant's contract, who I guess is going to be their starting right tackle. He's projected starting right tackle. Um, they saved like $9 million, or $9.65 million to be exact. Uh, if they cut him before 2022 and it's only a million dead cap hits. So it's like more, more likely than not, uh, you're going to be looking for a new right tackle in the next two years anyway. So you might as well take advantage of this tackle class and get a really good one while you can, because most tackle classes are not this good. And in most years, a guy as good as Tevin Jenkins is, wouldn't even have a, a shot to drop into the twenties. So I think it would be a very prudent selection. And then, uh, to be honest, he'd probably beat out Fant as a rookie anyway, but worst case scenario, you put him at guard for his first year, get your best five on the field. Year two, you save $9.6 million by cutting Fant. You kick check, uh, Jenkins out to right tackle, and you go get a new right guard in the draft that year. I love that strategy. I'm really hoping he makes it to 23. But if he doesn't, there are two other guys that you made videos of that could be in play for the Jets at number 23. One of them is Jeremiah Owusu-Koromora. He is arguably the best off-ball linebacker in the draft, and you certainly believe that based on your video. And Jalen Phillips, who you say is a hybrid of the Watt brothers. That is music to any Jets fans here because they just signed Carl Lawson. Imagine putting somebody that talented with Carl Lawson. You'd finally have that outside pass rush that the Jets have been missing for 15-plus years. Tell me about what you saw when you looked at Jalen Phillips and Jeremiah Owusu-Karamora, and do you think that if, say, Jenkins and Elijah Vera Tucker and the offensive linemen that they may want are off the board, that those guys could be good options for the Jets if they're there at 23? So Phillips, I think, could very easily be a top 15 pick. That's how high I am on him. In terms of combination of length, power, bend, explosiveness, technique, instinct, effort, uh, he is the most complete pass rusher in this draft mm -hmm. by a pretty fair margin. Uh, there's really no weakness to his game on tape at all. The one reason why he might drop is because of medical stuff. Um, you know, he had uh, an early retirement at UCLA, which I know people hear the word retirement and they, there's a lot of questions, but it was not his choice. They forced him into medical retirement because UCLA has a policy of if you get three concussions, you're done for them. You'll, you'll never play for them again. Um, so it, it, it was unfortunate because uh, one of those concussions, like he was, you know, riding his bike and got hit by a car. Like they weren't even all football related, mangled his wrist at, at, in that injury as well. So he had a lot of bad luck. Um, and then after, you know, his retirement, he got a call from, from Stanford and was like, Hey, we don't have that policy. We think you can still play. Do you want to come play for us? Miami heard, uh, University of Miami heard that, you know, Stanford was was getting in on that. They wanted to get in on it, too. And, uh, you know, he's a he's a big music guy. Like his side thing is, you know, wants to be a music producer and he's very good at it. And uh, Miami's music program is very good. And so he chose Miami because of their music program, because UCLA's music program is great, too. Miami's is, you know, in that kind of category. And so I went to Miami you know, spent a year basically getting, getting his body right because he wasn't training or anything. He was retired. And then, you know, came out this last season was absolutely dominant. He had a better year than Gregory Rousseau had, mm -hmm. um, than Quincy Roche had, the transfer from, I think it was Temple. Like he was, uh, he was probably the best Hurricanes defensive player 
since uh <laughs> i don't know the early 2000s if you can remember those teams like he he was phenomenal yeah like that kind of era of, of miami he was their best defensive player in almost two decades and so i i look at him on tape and there's really no weaknesses there i think again you know you look at him he's like he's like a hybrid between jj and tj he plays a very similar style very similar athletic talent i have him personally going 11 to the giants but I fully recognize that concussions could push him a lot lower than that. If he's there at 23, I mean, the hard decision would be if both him and Jenkins are there at 23, because I legitimately don't know what I would do in that scenario. I might, I might just flip a coin. Um, and then Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, he's one who I think Jeff Ulbrich would really like. Uh, Ulbrich, the new DC for the Jets. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at Brick's past, you know, he was responsible for bringing in Deion Jones to Atlanta. Uh, and developing Deion Jones into the linebacker that we know today, who's a similar size, you know, 6'2", 215, which seems light for a linebacker, but Ulbrich, um, who also developed Eric Kendricks when Kendricks was at UCLA, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's he's done very well with developing undersized linebackers and, you know, kind of honing their instincts uh, and, and helping them to kind of play to their strengths. So I think he would be a very good linebacker coach for Owusu Koromoa since he's worked with guys of a similar profile. And when you look at Jeremiah's, uh, speed, tackling ability, coverage ability, obviously. Uh, I think he would be a phenomenal fit and, and, and a phenomenal complement to what C.J. Mosley brings to the table. And, uh, man, you, you put those two behind a line with Quinn and Williams, uh, you know, Lawson, really the entire Jets defensive line is just a, a slaughterhouse at this point. Uh, that would be a very fun front seven to watch. I'm not saying that I would necessarily draft an off-ball linebacker at 23, but if they did he would be a heck of a player to have on this defense. I want to talk a little bit about the quarterback position, though, because, Brett, you really like Justin Fields. You told me before we started recording that if you were picking at number two, you would grab Fields, but you do like Wilson, too. Tell me about Fields, and then talk to me about what would go into your decision at number two overall if you were the one making the pick for the Jets. So, again, you know, this is kind of just my personal quarterback rankings. Like, I have Justin Fields uh, in Tier 1 with Trevor Lawrence, And then I have Trey Lance uh, and Zach Wilson as my tier two quarterbacks. And then Mac Jones is kind of a tier three all by himself. And that's nothing against Zach Wilson. I think he's a very good prospect in most draft classes. He would probably be in contention for QB one. He just happens to be in an absolutely unreal quarterback class (laughs) with, with multiple, you know, generational type talents to me. Uh, Like Trevor Lawrence is obviously Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields has always been the one B to Trevor Lawrence's one A since they're going back to high school. And I think he's absolutely justified that hype. When you look at his arm strength, his athleticism, his toughness, I mean, the dude had his rib cage detonated over and over again for two straight games in the playoffs. And, you know, he was coming back in and just throwing darts. Like, and, you know, also when you look at like the defenses that all these top guys are going up against, like, Justin Fields is the only guy that went up against four top 15 defenses like Indiana murderously good defense. Like they were a top 15 team Northwestern as well. Um, You know, Bama like ripped Clemson to shreds. Like he went up against a defensive slate that very few draft prospects have ever gone up against. And I think he acquitted himself pretty well. Like I did a, a four hour live stream breaking down every snap of that Indiana game, which a lot of people look at as like his, worst game I guess you could say and like there were some there were obviously some bad plays in there but I did not 
see the same red flags in that game that a lot of other people saw where it's like, oh, he can't read defenses. He can't process like, no, he was reading defenses just fine. You can knock him for being overly aggressive um, and, you know, hanging on the first read, not because he didn't know how to progress, but just because he kind of plays a lot like young, young Deshaun Watson, where it's like, or young Russell Wilson, where it's like he's he's going to hang on number one because he knows he's athletic enough to buy time for number one to get open so that he can throw a touchdown 50 yards down the field. So it was it was not an issue of reading defenses. It was an issue of being aggressive to a fault, which I think is, is a more correctable problem than just flat out not being able to see the field well. Like you look at some throws from Mac Jones against Georgia. That was not being able to see the field well. Like he had three interceptions dropped because he just straight up didn't see the field. I didn't see the same thing with Justin Fields against Indiana, which was a similarly talented and similarly effective defense to Georgia. So I, I really like Justin Fields uh, as far as Zach Wilson goes. Also really good quarterback, very good off schedule um, in terms of being able to throw on the run. He's gifted. Uh, he's a good athlete. Seems like a really good dude, coachable, all that kind of stuff. I do feel like um, under pressure, it was it was uh, there was there weren't many snaps under pressure. Let's just be honest. The offensive line was very good, and he wasn't playing against very many good defenses. And under pressure, I feel like he looked a little bit. Um, he would almost run himself into pressure. I guess is the easiest way to say it. And he would almost kind of create off-platform and create, you know, broken play situations that didn't really need to happen. Like, there were a few times where it's like, almost, it's almost kind of like Justin Fields, where it's like, dude, just get to number two. Like, you you don't need uh, to hang on that deep post over and over and over again and run around until you can throw it to, to Dax Milne, like, 50 yards down the field. Like, just get rid of it. But it's one thing to do that against Indiana or Northwestern. It's another thing to do that against like Houston or UCF, you know, like I, I felt like he was creating difficult situations for himself against defenses that really he, he should not have had to do that against. And not to mention like a lot of the throws down the field, there, there were some jump balls that didn't need to be jump balls where it's like kind of, ran himself into pressure that he didn't need to be. He would create difficult situations for himself that didn't need to be. I wanted him to play a little bit more within structure. Like honestly, his fault, his flaws are very similar to Justin Fields flaws, except I felt like Justin Fields has more physical talent and he was doing those flaws against like better defenses. Whereas, you know, Wilson was, was having some of those struggle plays against defenses that he absolutely should have been ripping to shreds from, from day one. So Again, I'm splitting hairs here. I still have Zach Wilson as a top five pick. I think he's a great quarterback. I won't hate it if the Jets take him at two. I think it would be a good pick. I just personally would prefer Justin Fields because he has the physical talent, because he survived an absolutely legendary slate of defenses this year, uh, and because I think he's a he's a very coachable kid, uh, just like Wilson. And I don't buy any of this you know, off the field concern stuff. I don't buy that at all. He doesn't play like a dude who doesn't prepare. He doesn't play like a dude who's not tough. He doesn't play like a guy who doesn't put in the work. Like I can only go off what I see on film and what I see on film is a really good quarterback. In fairness to Zach Wilson, Brett, he's known Dax Milne since they were seven years old. And so he was probably locking on to him to try and get him some good tape to get him drafted. It worked. It Dax sure Milne's going to get drafted. That's what I'm he's, saying. He's, and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, if, if, and when the Jets take Wilson, which again, full disclosure, 
I wouldn't hate that pick. I can say I prefer Fields, but I wouldn't hate Wilson going to two. They should draft Dax Mill on day three because <laughs> they clearly have a good connection. And what's the worst that can like you're spending a seventh round pick on a receiver? Might as well go get you know your guy's guy. Listen, I wouldn't hate it. I also wouldn't hate them getting Brady Christensen if he lasts a little longer than we expect. Bring in the band. Get them all back together. I'm fine with it. Like you said, Dax Millen, if you can get him in the sixth or seventh round, works for me. But if they don't get Dax Millen, they're going to go wide receiver clearly in another round. Who are some of the receivers in this class that you like? I know last year we talked about how strong the wide receiver class was. Do you think this wide receiver class is just as strong? Because i got to be honest. The more and more of these guys that I've watched, the more I've looked and said, man, there's got to be 15 guys on here that I think could make an impact in year one. Yeah, I think uh, no matter what, the Jets are going to come out of here with a good receiver. Because um, like I look at their starters right now, it's you know Corey Davis, Mims, who I loved last year. That was one of my favorite picks mm-hmm. in the whole draft was them getting Mims um, in round two. You got Crowder's your slot. And then you know you're, you kind of got a whole bunch of dudes fighting for the rest of the roster you got Braxton Berrios uh you know Keelan Cole Vincent Smith who spent some time down in Houston so I think there is room there to bring in somebody who can uh not just compete uh for a roster spot but actually compete for like significant snaps as a wide receiver four so I'm looking at guys that can offer a little bit different of a skill set like an Amir uh, Amir Smith-Marset who you know I think is a special team's uh, nightmare to deal with like as a return man uh, you know you can use him on jet sweeps he's very good with the ball in his hands legitimate deep threat so I, I look at him as a fit um, I would look at Rondale Moore uh, for a similar kind of reason again you'll probably have to use like a round two pick on him but like I think there are guys that you don't have to take in the first round but you can get in the second round they can come in and fill a role that they don't necessarily have filled which is return man gadget guy deep threat you know that kind of complimentary receiver to you know your number one in Corey davis your your uh your jump ball guy and denzel mims and your slot guy and jameson crowder let's talk about some of the other players that you looked at in your videos you've got one video that looks at the best defensive prospects at every single position we already talked about jalen phillips we already talked about jeremiah owusu karamoa You did a video on J.C. Horn, so we can obviously throw him into this. Talk to me a little bit about some of the players that you profiled in that video. Yeah, I mean, there's this is a very strong defensive class. And a lot of people were looking at, you know, receiver, offensive line, quarterback. But there's there's a lot of good defensive players in this class. There's just there's not the same kind of headliner talent, but the depth is there like J.C. Horn is uh, him and Patrick Sertan are probably the two quote-unquote headliners defensively in this class because uh, I think they're both phenomenal corner prospects. The Jets have no shot at either of them, but uh, th- there, there's a decent chance you're going to have to be dealing with them uh, for the next 10 years because they're both really good. I, you know, I talked about Jalen Phillips, but like I look at linebacker outside of Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, and there's 10 guys that I think are going to be good players in the league. Like Zayvon Collins from Tulsa is a monster. He's basically a Dante Hightower clone. I would bet good money that Miami's going to take him at 18, even though they traded for Bernardrick McKinney. Uh, they can cut McKinney with literally zero penalty, and Zayvon Collins can play that role even better than McKinney can. So mm-hmm. I I would bet that um, 
you know, Zayvon Collins is somebody that the Jets are going to have to deal with quite frequently. Micah Parsons, again, he's a major work in process progress, but the ceiling is monumentally high with him. Uh, He kind of, uh, I I, I want him to go to a team that blitzes a lot personally, because I feel like he would, he would do that role pretty well. Um, in terms of like just being a pure Mike linebacker that can stack and shed and everything like that. He's not quite there, but I understand it, it might take a couple of years to get there, but he, at least he has the potential. Um, Pete Warner from Ohio State, great linebacker. Absolutely great. Li- I think there's a good chance he'll go top 50. So there's been a little bit of rumblings of him going like back end of round one. I don't know about that. I think probably consensus is around two grade, but um I think he could easily go top 50 great blitzer, really good in, in coverage um, can get a little bit over aggressive against the run sometimes, but he can actually take on blocks and shed, which not many guys in this class can do that very well. So I really like Pete Warner cam McGrone's coming off injury. He reminds me a lot of Eric Kendricks. So if they don't get JOK or if the jets don't get JOK, I should say cam McGrone is one that I would look at because uh, Jeff Ulbrich, um, you know, used to work with Eric Kendricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, who else is? Oh, Jamin Davis is basically just a faster version of uh, faster version of Zach Cunningham. So, I that tells you all you need to know because I love Zach Cunningham. And then you know your other linebackers, uh, Derek Barnes, who's kind of uh, you know if you miss out on on Zayvon Collins or you miss out on Micah Parsons, he's like a true Mike linebacker that's a really good pass rusher. So you can grab him. Like, there's endless linebackers in this class. There's. <laughs> 15 corners that I think could get significant snaps as, as rookies. There's a, a metric ton of safeties like Andre Cisco, I think could be a superstar in this league as a single high safety. Uh, Trayvon Merrick is uh, I mean, he's basically Justin Simmons 2.0. Like there's a lot of really good defensive players in this class. If you go watch like the, the video I did was like over an hour long, you know, breaking down my top picks at every single position. And you watch that video and you'll come away with a pretty good understanding that this is not just an offensive draft class. There's legitimately great defensive talent here. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's just as many pro bowlers to come out of this class on defense as there will be on offense. Brett, even though I know you're 100% correct about the fact that the Jets have no chance to get J.C. Horn, it still made me cry a little bit inside when I heard you say it out loud because anybody that listens to the show knows that Horn's my favorite player in the draft. I've been talking about him since October, and Kayla Pace, who's one of our contributors over at playlikeajet.com, she's a South Carolina grad. She is also all aboard the J.C. Horn train. And we've both been very, very sad as J.C. Horn's stock has gone up and people's expectations for him have started to match the expectations that we've had for him all along. So while it's nice that other people are catching up to us, it's bad because now we're almost positive that there's no way the Jets are going to be able to get him. But there are a lot of great defensive players in this draft that you just outlined, and that's good news. A lot of good offensive players, too. We've talked about a few of them. Who are some of the other ones that you like, Brett? Christian Darrisaw is a really good tackle out of Virginia Tech. I could see him going top 15. Mm-hmm. The Chargers is probably a natural fit. When you look at him as like on zone runs, the backside cutoffs that he pulls off on zone runs are breathtaking. Like his ability, like his first step quickness, his ability to get to the front side shoulder of a three technique, whether he has help from the guard or not, and cut off that three technique and create just these massive cutback lanes in the running game. It's, it's special. It's really special. 
And, you know, if he's there at 23, I would have a legitimate discussion between him and Tevin Jenkins uh, to be right tackle for the Jets because of the system that the Jets run, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, with all these wide zone plays that we're expecting from them. And the fact that, you know, Mekhi Becton is, is phenomenal. He's one of my favorite offensive linemen in the whole league. He's phenomenal at, you know, winning front side on zone runs. Like you could run behind him all day long. The fact that Darasaw is so good at creating cutback lanes on the backside, like you put a guy who's really good front side and a guy who's really good backside on the same offensive line, you can run it 40 times a game and be successful. Like you're taking Zach Wilson. You want him to, to be as successful as humanly possible. Cause I certainly do. Like I want Zach Wilson to be the greatest jet that ever lived. <laughs> you get those two tackles and run the ball that much his rookie year while he's developing and getting his feet wet and learning the NFL game, you're going to be set. If Christian Derrissaw is there at 23, which again, I know a little bit of a long shot, but if he's there, I'd have a legitimate discussion about it because his fit with the system and his fit across from Makai Becton is almost too good to pass up. I 100% agree with you, Brett. I've been talking about Darasaw also probably since about October. I put him out of my head because I just didn't think there was any chance he was going to make it to 23. But the weird thing is, the closer we get to the draft, the less we've been hearing about him. And then there's a potential medical issue that popped up. So maybe he slides a little bit. Perhaps Joe Douglas gets a little frisky and trades up. But I would absolutely love to have Darasaw. He is an absolute beast. And like you said, I think him and Makai Becton together would be nasty. And I would love to see that combination. You made another video, though, about players that are beneath Darasaw's level, at least in terms of what people think of them and how well they're known. Now, I knew the guys that you profiled in these videos, but they are very much under the radar. Talk to me a little bit about some of the guys that are not quite bubbling up to the surface. They're not getting as much buzz as they should, and they should be heavy consideration for teams maybe on day two, day three. Uh, you know, I look at um, Zach Davidson, Central Missouri tight end, who's uh, 6'7", but moves like he's 6'1". Absolute freak athlete, great ball skills, small school guy, so he's not getting really any publicity at all, but he's going to go early on day two, I think. Like early to mid round two, I would, I would expect, because there's not very many good tight ends in this class. He's probably the third one to me after Pitts and Fryermuth extraordinarily talented. I love Zach Davidson. Um, hell, wouldn't even surprise me if he's a jet, like especially if you got Zach Wilson who, who specializes in throwing jump balls, might as well go get a tight end. That's really good on jump balls. <laughs> so he's one that I would look at. Um, Khalil Herbert running back from Virginia tech, Darisaw's teammate. I have him in my tier one of running backs uh, along with Najee Harris, Javante Williams and Trey Sermon. I know a lot of Jets fans are kind of focusing on, you know, Travis Etienne either at 23 or early in round two. I think Khalil Herbert to me is a little bit better player overall. Like you look at his uh, tackle breaking efficiency, his efficiency against stacked boxes, which you're going to get in this system because it's, it's so run oriented. You're going to be running against stacked boxes. Travis Etienne's efficiency versus eight in the box, like absolutely went off a cliff where it's Khalil Herbert's did not. I think he's just a little bit tougher runner uh, when, when uh, you know, when faced with free defenders in the box. Like, he's a little bit tougher uh, inside the tackles like that. And also, like, look at Travis Etienne's efficiency. I don't mean to, like, talk bad about Travis Etienne. It's just, it is what it is. 
when he's going to the left, like on the outside edge, where he's able to use his right hand, his dominant hand, uh, to act as like a stiff arm and you know break tackles and everything like that, his numbers are really high. When he's going to the right side and any run plays to the right, where he has to use his non-dominant hand, his numbers drop off a cliff. So again, I think he's a really good player, but I think there's a few there's a few different types of run concepts that Etienne's really good at. Uh, whereas there's some that he's not really good at. Whereas Khalil Herbert, I think is a little bit more well-rounded. He catches the ball. You can run it in literally any style, any gap, and he's still going to be efficient. Trey Sermon, I think is the same way. Like he's not as fast as the other guys. He tops out at four, six, but his short area quickness, his power, his vision. It's uh, it's like the only thing that's separating him and Nick Chubb to me as runners are just top end speed, but he's got everything else that Nick Chubb has. So I, I think these are two running backs that that could very easily go on day two for the Jets, and both of them would have a lot of success. Brett, moment of truth here. Let's say you're Joe Douglas. You've got the number two pick, number 23, number 34. Then you've got two third rounders, a fourth, two fifths, two sixths. What would you be looking to do here? So if it was me, Justin Fields at two, but let's just say Zach Wilson for realism's sake. I would take a right tackle at 23, best one available out of uh, Jenkins, Derisaw, any of those guys. Right tackle at 23, build around my young quarterback, make him as successful as possible. Running back early round two, um, best one available, whether it's Javante, Najee, Khalil Herbert, Trey Sermon, whatever. Take one of them because I don't think – I think there's going to be a running back running round two, and you, you got to get one while you can. So I would probably attack corner with the third round pick. So there you're looking at maybe best case scenario, like a Paulson Adebo, uh, maybe like a Benjamin St. Juice, uh, Keith Taylor, somewhere around in that range. Uh, I mean, maybe Eric Stokes. Again, it's it's tough to know exactly where these corners are going to come off the board, but I, I get corner in round three. Safety's fine. Linebacker, I think that's probably a sweet spot for Cameron McGrone in the third round because he's coming off injury, so I'll go with him. One-fourth, two-fifth, two-sixth. So in the fourth round, see, you already took running backs. So you don't need that. Tight end, I would probably look at like a, either a Hunter Long or a Kenny Yaboa in the fourth round uh, to be like a developmental uh, third tight end for me. Hunter Long, I think, is really solid, really good, uh, really good ball skills. Um, not really like a seam stretch or anything like that, but I think you could do a lot of work in the red zone and um, be kind of a safety blanket for for Wilson and or Fields. I would look at interior line with the fifth rounders. So I'm probably looking at, let me look at my my rankings here. I mean, it's a total shot in the dark that he would even be there at this point, but maybe like Kendrick Green. I think is a really good fit as kind of like an undersized zone center, zone guard. We have a video up on Kendrick Green on our YouTube channel that you can check out right now if you haven't seen it already. Luke Grant broke down Kendrick Green and why he'd be a perfect fit for the zone blocking scheme that presumably Mike LaFleur is going to bring in here from the Shanahan system. So I think that would be a fantastic pick. And I don't know if he'll be there in the fifth round, but not every team would value him the same. So it's possible he slips a little bit. Um, and then I kind of like, uh, Demetric Felton in the fifth round. Uh, he might go a little bit earlier than that, but 
he seems to be trying to profile himself as a wide receiver. There's a lot of wide receivers, so maybe he'll get pushed down the board a little bit. He's like a hybrid running back receiver to me. He could very easily be a scat back on third downs, a slot receiver. If you really want, like, I think he could do everything that Ty Johnson does, but better. So I really like Demetric Felton there in the fifth again, if he's there and then your two six rounders, I mean, God, at that point, you're just going for, for just value, like a John Adams, uh, another jump ball receiver, just to kind of compete for a roster spot, you know, let's build around our quarterback and, and what he's good at, which is throwing jump balls. So let's get him, uh, you know, John Adams there. And then, you know, I kind of like a, like a Brady breeze there mm-hmm. in the sixth round. Cause I think he's going to be a special teams demon. So at worst he'll make the roster on special teams while also competing to be your third safety. Uh, yeah. I like that. I like that whole class. Uh, it's, it's a kind of good balance, a good eclectic mix of, of need plus special teams plus future value. I think, I think that would be a good way to start off either Wilson's or Fields's career. I tend to agree. I think that would be a really good strategy. If Kendrick Green is there in the fifth round, by the way, I think there are going to be a lot of Jets fans that are going to be doing backflips because that would be a phenomenal value there. I wouldn't mind taking him in the fourth or even late in the third. So if they get him in the fifth, it would sort of be like what happened with Bryce Hall last year. And Jets fans were very, very pleased about that. Brett Coleman who runs the YouTube channel The Film Room, makes the best videos you will find on football. His draft videos are outstanding. He's got almost 300,000 subscribers for a reason. So if you're not subscribed to his channel, go ahead and do it right now. Brett, I know you did your live mock draft yesterday. So talk about what you've got coming up, but also talk about that mock draft because people can go check out that video now. Also, how can people follow you on social media? So uh, I'm at Brett Coleman. That's K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N on, on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think the mock draft special is going to be interesting because uh, I talked a little bit more in depth about like, you know, why I prefer fields and everything like that. But pick 23, I think, is something that a lot of Jets fans would um, have not considered at this point with who I took. It's somebody that we didn't talk about today. I won't spoil it, but watch watch all the way through pick 23 and get through the reasoning and i think uh, i think some jets fans will be pretty interested in that and then uh you know all the way through the draft if you want to ask me questions about anything jets related i'm going to be uh, on my podcast channel the bootleg football podcast with my podcast partner ej snyder we are doing a live draft reaction show starting an hour before the draft going all the way through the draft all three days so it's going to be like 18 19 total hours of of uh, live draft content and um, yeah, just come hang out with us, you know, talk jets, talk, talk really any team you want. And uh, it's, it's going to be fun. I can't wait. I can't wait for the draft either. Brett, thanks so much for coming on. Everybody go watch his videos, subscribe to his YouTube channel, and make sure you're checking out the bootleg football podcast with Brett and EJ Snyder as well. And don't miss our virtual draft party. So you can have, Both of them on at the same time. Have your two computers or put one on your phone, put one on the computer. We're both going to be much better than the NFL Network and ESPN's corny coverage, so make sure you check it out because with you, Stadium, I'll be hosting that. We've got C.J. Mosley and a bunch of other guests that will be coming on to talk about all the picks and the fallout from everything. So you've got Brett doing the live show 
for the Bootleg Football Podcast with EJ. You've got me with Nick Spano over at U Stadium, and of course, CJ Mosley will be there. So lots of draft content to dive into from all angles. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com.